1: On the Chicago Bears review, after running the gauntlet that was the first eight games of 2017, our beloved have the week off, where they can relax, regroup, and prepare to tack the second half of the year and finish it out on a positive note. Was the first half as bad as the record, or was it even worse? Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com joins us on the midseason review episode of the Chicago Bears review. Well, the Hell's Gate that was the first eight games of the season is over. They are gone. And, uh, you know, like I said, back in April when the schedule came out, three and five would not be the worst thing in the world. Four and four would have been fantastic. But unfortunately, we did not get there. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the midseason review episode of the Chicago Bears review. And uh, after this, we're going to have a little breather uh, until next Thursday when we'll come back with uh, Evan Western from Acme Packing Company from SB Nation to preview Week 10 Bears and Packers as they kick off the second half of the year with two straight NFC North games at home. Uh, they're actually stacking up. They're three out of four at home to start the second half, uh, as opposed to the home-away, home-away of the first eight games. Uh, we're we're going to bunch it up. We're going to start three out of four at home, and then uh, for the you know first half, And then three out of four on the road to finish out uh, the year. So it should be interesting uh, as things uh, move along. So um, you know, so we'll uh, after today we'll be we'll be gone until next Thursday. I'm I'm getting my own little bye week in here, and um, you know we'll uh, we'll come back uh, fresh and ready to go for the second half of the season. Should be interesting if nothing else, man. I mean, the first eight games were an adventure, a roller coaster. You hear me use those words with our guest Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com. Also has a podcast of his own, Locked On Bears. It's a daily podcast. If you want to check that one out, um, and we'll we'll pop that, or pub that a few times uh, during the uh, during the talk. But um, no real big news uh, going on. Uh, the, the the there was talk that the Bears might trade Josh Sitton during the trade uh, deadline, which just passed on uh, Tuesday. But uh, those rumors were were all for nothing. It kind of sounded like a bananas idea to me to trade Josh Sitton, but thankfully nothing came of it, and he's still a Chicago Bear with another year left on his contract. He signed a three-year deal with us last year, so uh, hopefully it's not a precursor to Josh Sitton not being on the football team uh, next year because uh, he hasn't really shown me any uh, decline or at least uh, none that would uh, warrant us getting rid of him, so... Um, anyway, really no other big news other than the fact that the NFL is, uh, <laughs> they're riding pretty hard on the fact that they take that touchdown away from Zach Miller. Um, they released a video of, uh, one of their senior officials, um, breaking down what, uh, what, uh, why, or they made the call that they made and, um, and it's, it's all of 50 seconds long, so you can tell he had a, you know, a, a big breakdown of the, of the uh, video. He went through the play one time. He went through the process of the catch one time, and you know you couldn't see anything. You absolutely could not see. And, and, and when I say you couldn't see every, anything, I mean you didn't see the evidence that he was supposedly pointing to. Uh, and justifying this horrible call uh, that the referees made. I mean, it's like what they say they see, it, it's just not there. You know, it's just not there. So, I mean, and, and already this week, I think on Monday, uh, Mike Pereira, who is the uh, the in-studio Fox, uh, you know, analyst, uh, you know, is, is on a bunch of other shows and stuff. Uh, he said that um, even if they had marked it uh, incomplete on the field, they would have given Zach Miller a touchdown upon further... Uh, review. He's like, he just doesn't see the evidence that the NFL is uh, now just fully leaning into now. I mean, they're just not going to let it go. So, um, you know, regardless, I mean, like I said, it wouldn't have affected the outcome as much, but um, you know, you would think that for poor Zach Miller's case that, uh, you know, they would issue an apology. I mean, why not? It's, you, you know, it, it'll save some face with the league and, you know, you, you know, you might actually earn some points with, with the fans for, for taking that back, showing a little empathy to a guy that uh, very well could have ended his career on that play. And you stole the, you know, the touchdown that, that he made a great play for. So um, that's basically all we have right now. So, I mean, it's mid season, everybody's getting rested up. Um, I think the bears are practicing like today and uh, yesterday and today, uh, today being Wednesday, I'm recording this on Wednesday night and um, they've got the rest of the week off. They got the thursday through i think sunday off they're back on monday and then on a regular schedule to get ready for uh green bay so they get a nice little extended uh break and um so do we you know because after today i won't be back until next thursday when we have evan western back on to prepare us for bears packers 2 when we're in a great position to even up the season series and even up the all-time series which now the packers have control of because they won week four so um anyway i really don't have anything else guys so i'm going to go ahead and step back because lauren and i um you know when we get together and we start talking bears the time can really get away from you so snuggle in guys it's uh it's a good interview we got a lot of great stuff and covered just about everything there was to talk about the first eight games of the season myself and lauren cox from bearswire.com reviewing the first half of 2017. Yeah. With eight down and eight to go, we are at the midseason review, and uh, our beloved Chicago Bears are three and five, which when the schedule came out after the looking at the first eight games we had ahead, Three of five didn't sound like a bad deal, but after the first eight games, we should probably be better than this, and here to help agree with me on this, uh, from Bears Wire, Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back to the show, man.
2: Hey, it's a pleasure. I always enjoy coming on to Chicago Bears Review. Yeah, yeah. You got a podcast of your own now, don't you? Yeah, I host Locked On Bears over on the, the Locked On Podcast Network, just a, a daily kind of thing.
1: Nice, nice, nice. So check that out for, the, for a daily dose uh, of the Bears, and then come back here for your your biweekly, uh, you know, t- entreat that is me, so. Of course, absolutely, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so, Lauren, this has been one of the more interesting years to date uh, for the Bears. I mean, you know, it's been a roller coaster would be putting it mildly. Uh, I mean, going back from draft day, you know, we signed Mike Glennon to replace Jay Cutler, and then out of nowhere, we draft Mitch Trubisky. We talked about that on the the season preview, so we won't dig into that too much. But one question that I did want to ask you about that and get your opinion is with the way that that Glennon started hell, even the preseason, you know, his first pass as a bear was a pick. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
0: So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.
1: Six uh, ...against the Broncos in the preseason. Do you think that he never really recovered from the shock of Trubisky being selected by the Bears?
2: You know, I don't know if it was... I mean, I'm sure that weighed on him mentally, but I think whether or not Trubisky was here or not didn't make him a bad quarterback you know I think he you know he was largely the same guy that he was in Tampa Bay in in terms of being someone who you can win football games with as evident as evidence in week three but it takes a lot to win football games with him and he kind of ends up looking like a backup quarterback who you know you can do worse if your starter goes down but he's not the guy that you want to have to rely on each week to throw you into games, and I think that's what we saw this season. It started in the preseason, and and maybe there was more potential back in Tampa Bay, but there certainly wasn't a lot of growth since then. And when you see a quarterback kind of stay at that level, to me, that signals backup quarterback.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that became more and more evident, and uh, I fought it, kicking and screaming, man. I really did. And for the, I mean, even me and your your buddy Draft Doctor Phil went back and forth a few times on Twitter about it, saying. You know, like basically just begging for Trubisky to be thrown in there. And I, like I said, I, caught, I fought it kicking and screaming, not because I didn't think Trubisky was ready, not because I didn't think he was the best quarterback on the roster, which he proved during the preseason, but because we weren't ready. This was my contention from the moment that we drafted him it's like the supporting cast is just not there we're not going to be setting him up to succeed or put him in the best position to succeed. wins or losses are irrelevant with the state of the team but you know being able to be productive and successful out on the field those are two different things and as a rookie when you're being brought in the number two overall pick we just didn't have the horses to help him out and that's why i didn't want him out there and in the end you know especially after the green bay game you just couldn't fight it anymore you have to put trubisky in there otherwise the the, the whole ship mm-hmm. is going down
2: yeah and i get the the hesitancy there and i think they the bears wanted to be careful with making sure you know not not just that he was ready but also that he wasn't going to be put in a, too many situations to potentially build bad habits because mm. clearly what he needs is experience. He you know, hasn't had a lot of it in college and just generally in his career has spent a lot of time on the bench. And that's important for some types of quarterback development. But a lot of what we need to see from Trubisky to grow is to put him in different situations that you just can't replicate on the sidelines and in practice and see how he handles it. Let him you know, review that and, and go through it over and over again to try and just get a, a better baseline understanding of, of how to handle certain situations. But at the same time, you don't want to throw him out there behind an offensive line that can't protect him and receivers that can't hold on to passes and maybe have him try and do too much, try and force the ball, try and you know uh, abandon his mechanics here and there in certain situations, which I think we're already starting starting to see a little bit, but the question becomes whether it becomes a bad habit or whether it's something that he just goes into in certain situations that you can continue to try and work him through. And that comes back down to your coaching staff and your your quarterbacks coach, your offensive coordinator, and even the other veteran quarterbacks in the room helping him through every single situation.
1: Right, and you know it's like from the from the outset. I mean, just even going back to the preseason, you know, Mike Lennon, he he did nothing to endear himself to the city of Chicago. Uh, did did nothing. I mean, his first throw was a pick six. I mean, we we already talked about that, but it's just. Then then week two against Arizona. Well, I mean and then trubisky comes out and runs the two minute drill. We score the first touchdown, comes back out, he scores again, you know the first two drives, the guys on the field he leaves scoring drives for the Bears. Then Glennon comes out against Arizona, still throws another interception, is a little bit better, but not much. And then you know, trubisky outplays him again the second time. Then the third preseason game against Tennessee, he looks like a competent quarterback and kind of quieted the whole, you know, is Trubisky going to start week one, you know, conversation by having a good performance against the Titans. And then obviously he didn't play week four against the Browns. And even though Trubisky was on the field, you could argue that he didn't play against the Browns either. <laughs> yeah, um, But I mean, it's like, and, and then we get into the season and Glennon isn't awful, but he's he wouldn't have been the reason that we won if we did win against Atlanta. But we, we left week one with a ton of hope after that first win. I mean, we went round for round with the NFC champs, you know, and aside from one stupid busted coverage mistake against Austin Hooper, the Bears played a perfect game and almost took the NFC champs down week one. Yeah. And then, the, then week
2: two comes along and, and oh. the whole ship kind of reverses, but you know, that that's sort of Mike Glennon, you know, he can, a game against the Falcons, he can put points on the board. If you have a really strong running game and you have a defense that's more or less doing a a pretty strong job. I mean, Jordan Howard comes out in that game and and once again, consistent on the ground, they get the Tariq Cohen game going, passing into him different things that the defense just isn't ready to account for. And you saw this team, you know, slowly but surely move the ball down the field and put up points on the board and Glennon took care of the ball and then defense pitched in where it could. But there's only so much you can do for four quarters uh, against just a team that that does out-talent you just on on, a, on paper.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, week two, uh, apparently they never got off the plane because, um, I mean, it was a disaster from the outset. Dude, it was 26 to nothing at halftime. You know, I mean, it was just – and we got a garbage touchdown at the end. Otherwise, the Bucks shut us out. And that was the first game where the Bears just continually – shot themselves in the foot. I mean, from Tariq Cohen, don't know what the hell he was thinking on that punt return from there. And, you know, Glennon's fumbling the football and he's throwing into triple coverage when Shaheen is wide open in the flat. I mean, it was just an utter tits-up disaster from the opening kickoff. And then a week later against the Steelers, we look like world beaters again and we win the thing in overtime. And you see the Bears' defense kind
2: of be that steady force Throughout, you know, even against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how many of those points in that game were set up by a a turnover? You know, whether it was the pick six or a a fumble, there was so, you know, I think there were very few opportunities in that game where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got the ball and drove the length of the field to score a touchdown on the Bears defense. And it seemed like wins and losses, that defense largely did their job in spite of what the offense was able to do. And then uh, against Pittsburgh, the offense is finally just able to again, get things going a little bit in the air and play a little bit better, you know, ground game, certainly in that one was a huge factor. You take it in overtime and Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen do more magic there. So just uh, you see things start to come together around the quarterback. But like we've kind of been talking about, you could feel that position holding everybody back as as it seemed like everyone was sort of carrying Mike Glennon and and struggling to even get the first win in overtime.
1: Yeah, I mean, he damn near gave the game away by throwing another interception there in the in the fourth quarter i mean what what's actually driven me the most insane about the bears this year is that in all three of our victories there's kind of this yeah but kind of connotation to them Mm -hmm. you know it's like we beat pittsburgh we it took overtime to do it but it should have never gotten to overtime you know i mean how i mean did you lose your voice screaming at marcus cooper on that oh, field man. goal block. I lost my mind, Lauren. I could not believe what I was watching. You know, I absolutely could not believe it.
2: It really felt like a, a Mark Tressman team right there. I mean, as much as it did against the Buccaneers, and then you come in that game and just, man, you know, that's that's Mel Tucker defense. That's letting the ball sit there on yes. the, the fumble sit yes. there on the ground against the Green Bay Packers. I mean, it's right up there. That was Chicago Bears football since 2012.
1: Yeah yeah it really was I mean, and then uh you know, it's like good God, I mean that one just really stuck i mean the 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 points that uh you know, I mean Barth missed a field goal in that game, and then Marcus cooper uh you know for I don't know what the hell I would love to ask the guy what happened there, you know, I really would like he started slowing down at the fifteen and then stopped before he reached the goal line, and then of course, he gets hit just hard enough for the ball to pop loose, and then you know. It God, it was so crazy.
2: Well, and then Charles Leno false starts on the first play yes. from the one yard line when they were gonna get the touchdown. False start field goal, three points instead of seven.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it like I said, it should have never got to overtime. Fast forward two weeks later, uh, or three, three weeks later, when we're in Baltimore, you know, the defense only allows nine points, but somehow we go to overtime because of two special teams touchdowns. You know, it's like we were wasting our defense's effort. You know, each and every week. I mean, the the only bad game that I would say that they had would be a against Green Bay when, for whatever reason, you know, Green Bay was running the ball better than anybody else had.
2: yeah, that that was such a weird uh, like a weird mix for this team. Like I wonder if that's sort of the point where you see guys just so frustrated perhaps by the quarterback play and just generally stagnant offense that, okay, they've sat through four weeks of Mike Glenn and busting their ass to try and keep the score within reach. And then maybe they just get a little bit frustrated. They, they try a little bit too hard or they, they just aren't trying hard enough, you know, one way or another, they're not playing soundly within their own responsibilities. And maybe one guy tries to do too much and leaves something behind him and, just an opening up of a a Packers running game that had been struggling to that point with that backup offensive line of four guards and a tight end or whatever, you know, just (laughs) mix it in whoever they could possibly come across.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I was salivating going into that game. It was like, oh yeah, we're going to be playing our fifth and sixth offensive tackle in this game. When I, when I was talking to to Evan Western, uh, he's my Packer guy for Acme Packing Company on SB Nation. He, that's what he was telling me. He's like, we might be in this game with like our fourth or fifth, offensive tackle and i'm like jesus i mean floyd and 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 uh you know willie young at the time and and everything those guys were were getting after roethlisberger last week and they were playing against you know villanueva and you know they got good offensive tackles in pittsburgh what are they going to do with these guys they literally pulled off the street to play against the bears and instead it was you know this season probably the worst game that they had and and, you know you might be right as far as you know emotion probably had more to do with than than effort uh did in, in in how that game ended up
2: well and it's funny how this bear season like you look at that that Pittsburgh Steelers game and it felt like the Bears matched up absolutely terribly with that team you know their offensive line was strong and they had a good running game and they could seem to be able to stop the run pretty well and they were going to try and dare you to throw at them and it was like oh man the Bears are screwed against the Steelers they're sort of the perfect matchup to stop them Bears get that win, and then they come to Green Bay, and it's like, well, Green Bay's offensive line's falling apart, so the Bears' pass rush should be fine. Their run defense is consisting of, like, three safeties in the box, and, you know, they don't have linebackers, and their defensive line's banged up. So you know Jordan Howard's going to have a big game, and Aaron Rodgers was maybe not quite as stellar as he's been, and just a lot of reasons why the Green Bay Packers were struggling coming into the game. You thought, oh, well, maybe the Bears would get a win that week. Instead, they implode. It's just funny how when the team, when they match up well, it doesn't go well and when it seems like things are stacked up against them you know even like against the carolina panthers not a, not necessarily a great matchup game mm-hmm. they seem to be able to to defy the expectations in these games
1: yeah that's the other i mean we like i said with with the ravens the special teams touchdowns almost wasted uh, an outstanding effort from the defense where they put points on the board forced three turnovers in the game and uh, and what have you and then we come to the carolina game where again there's a yeah, but it's like the defense was dominant. I mean, there was no other way to put it. They absolutely murdered uh, the Panthers. I mean, they knocked Cam Newton out of the game mentally very early on. You know, it was it was reminiscent of me, for me of Super Bowl 50. You know, like he this was a guy that was trial la, la and all the way through the 2015 campaign, won the MVP, blew right through the NFC playoffs, and then runs into the Broncos in the Super Bowl where he's actually challenged pretty much for the first time all year. And he, he turned the, you know, that smile turned upside down quick in that game because the Broncos were relentless. And it was very much the same way for the Bears. And, the, you know, not only one touchdown this time, but two from the same guy who just did something in NFL history no one had ever done before. Uh, you know, which that that didn't suck watching that. But then <laughs> then you flip it over to the offense and it's just like it couldn't be more frustrating watching these guys operate uh, on the field.
2: And it comes back to that, yeah, but. It's like, well, yeah, the Bears won that game, but it took a historic performance from a rookie safety and really just a dominant defensive performance. It's how many times can you get those? And same thing against Baltimore. You know, when they get – was it Baltimore that had the Pat O'Donnell passing touchdown and the Tariq Cohen halfback pass? I mean, two, you know, gimmicky plays, for lack of a better term, that – you can't come back to those unless you have the, the perfect situation and the team's not ready for it. You know, this is a team that has struggled all season, even with Mitch, to take an offensive drive and go the length of the field and score in a traditional football play. And in, it seems like there's only been one or two drives where Trubisky hands it off for the touchdown or throws a passing touchdown, and they're stuck with field goals or trick plays to try and get in the end zone. And, you know, finishing drives has just been an issue that comes up in all these games and let you feel like, even with three wins, have they really put together a strong offensive performance for four quarters? Yeah. I don't think we've seen it.
1: No, it hasn't. And the the, the O'Donnell touchdown was against Minnesota on Monday night. Oh, uh, you're right. Cohen was the next week against uh, Baltimore. But, but you're right. You know, we need gimmicky plays. And the only two quarterbacks, the only two players in the league with perfect quarterback ratings are Pat O'Donnell and Tariq Cohen because they're both one for one with a touchdown. And I think... O'Donnell still has the longest pass play? No. Tariq Cohen has that now because of, or I mean, Trubisky does because of that pass Cohen caught against the Panthers. But yep. the first six weeks of the season, our punter has the longest pass play of the year. Well, so, and th- even that play against the Panthers to Tariq Cohen, like it
2: tells you that, hey, maybe this rookie quarterback can actually throw the ball downfield to who knows who at wide receiver, uh, the backup rookie running back. At wide receiver he can throw downfield and get 70 yards in the air like maybe just maybe there's something here that could be unleashed if things come together in terms of play calling in terms of receivers in terms of the offensive line everything comes together you've got the pieces for an offense that you know maybe they're not going to be the saints but they can make explosive plays and they can lead drives down the field to score
1: so um I saw a like a post on Twitter or, or whatever it was today that led me to the link to – it was an audio clip, and I was at work, so I couldn't get a chance to listen to it. But it alluded to you saying that you, you were giving your two cents on the receivers not being the biggest problem with the offense right now? Yeah. So I, I, I noticed after watching the Saints All-22 film
2: for, for Lockdown Bears, I went through and I rewatched that fourth quarter pretty closely in particular – You know, a couple times through. And what I saw over and over again, even on those last couple drives, and when, you know, maybe they're down 10 or or eventually six on the scoreboard, there are receivers getting open on plays, whether it's Daniel Brown filling in at tight end, going across the middle. And even, you know, I'm I'm very critical of Dowell Loggins, but there were a couple plays in there that were actually pretty well drawn up. They had one where they had Adam Shaheen motion out to wide receiver and he followed a safety and he was going down the sideline to the end zone had the coverage he wanted, he had leverage on the safety, he was ready for the jump ball, but the same problem keeps coming up on these plays. The offensive line wasn't able to hold up for Mitchell Trubisky, Mm. and I think so often in this game, and in recent weeks, you see plays where the guy is just on the cusp of getting open, and then Trubisky has to scramble, or he has to move off his spot, and if he had another half second in there to get to that part of his progression and see the open receiver, it's there, and he'd be able to find it and get the ball there, but instead... You know, he's he has to tuck and run. And the other thing you might want to see is Trubisky, when he does tuck, maybe re- est- re- reset and reestablish and, and then make the throw. I mean, I, I said on the podcast, that's what, that's what Aaron Rodgers does well. It's not only being able to escape the pocket, but it's extending plays and then throwing. You know, that's what Russell Wilson does well. And right now, Trubisky is extending plays and taking off and picking up good yards with his legs, which is great. And that's impressive and it's exciting for the young rookie quarterback. But when you want to see him... Take the next step. You know, I'm not trying to be critical of what he is doing, but just sort of what you want to see next is, you know, leave the pocket, establish quickly, keep your eyes downfield, throw and find the open receivers because that's what you can do to take that those athletic traits and turn that into an elite quarterback instead of where he is right now, which is, you know, an athletic quarterback that can do a lot. But as you want to see him develop, that's sort of where you look to step two. So it's a, it's a combination of timing and the offensive line and trubisky because you're seeing the you know daniel brown tight end get open trey mcbride put on a double move on marshawn Lattimore and burnt him down the sideline the saints had blitzed on the play though trubisky flush out of the pocket just little things like that the plays are there to be made it's just a combination of everybody coming together to make them
1: okay so i mean yeah that definitely makes sense i mean he's been under pressure quite a bit it's funny for an offensive line that can do so well uh, with the run when they're not facing a nine-man box um, you know I mean that's what was driving me nuts in the Pittsburgh and the uh, well Baltimore as well Pittsburgh Baltimore and Carolina ironically our three wins is that th- those guys were playing short yardage defense they were stacking up the box and then just shooting the gaps and there was a free man in the backfield just about every time and sometimes we would get lucky and, and Jordan Howard would either break the tackle or you know he would overrun Howard and he'd you know be able to find the whole uh, and things like that but the saints seem to be sitting back a little bit more they they were or they weren't being as aggressive against the run as other teams were and um you know of course that's the game that we want to be more balanced and try to throw uh the football when we're playing against a team that doesn't seem to be harping on the run like our previous opponents were yeah and, and that's to me
2: comes back to more of the offensive coordinator because obviously the offensive line the five offensive linemen can really only block five guys and If you have tight ends on the play, you know you get more. But it's it becomes a numbers thing, Mm -hmm. and so when you see, you know, when the Bears become predictable in that sense, it becomes easy for the other team to just say, okay, when there's two tight ends on the field, the Bears are more likely to run. But you rarely see this team run out of the shotgun at all. They'll play action it every once in a while, but this is an under center, you know, fullback in or two tight ends in the game it it generally tells you that the Bears are going to run. And even like, I know before the the game against the Saints, when Adam Shaheen's role got a little bit bigger, like something like 70, 80% of the plays when he's on the field, the Bears were running the ball. Like he had run like 10 pass plays compared to like 70 run plays <laughs> in his first seven games this season. And it was just this super indicator that, hey, when they bring him in as that sort of extra body tight end, the Bears are going to run the ball. And so... Teams can adapt their personnel to that, but if you instead come out and put out four wide receivers, even if that's Trey McBride and Tanner Gentry and Josh Bellamy and Kendall Wright, they still have to take guys out of the box to cover those players, and they still have to you know, open things up in the interior for Jordan Howard to run against because this season, when the Bears run from shotgun, they're averaging, or they're averaging 5.3 yards a carry hmm. as opposed to 4.1 under center.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh yeah it's it's been difficult to watch um with the you know that that part was it was driving me insane you know it's like not only where we we kind of tipping our hand with our personnel but it's just like you can bank your life on the fact the bears are going to run the ball on first down you know yep. they, they absolutely will run the ball on first down 99,000 you know 999 times out of 10 you know 100,000 or whatever number i'm trying to get to but you know, you get what I'm trying to say. Like, you can set your watch to the fact the Bears are going to run the ball on first down. And our opponents know that. So, of course, they're going to load up the box and come after it, you know. And never once did we do – I mean, what the hell well, is, and act- is, go ahead. Actually, the first – you know, I, as, as much as you're – I'm
2: 100% agreeing with you. It was surprised me, and I think the Saints game might have been a slight step forward mm-hmm. for Dowell Loggins. Because first play of that game, they come out in there – I think they had three tight ends on the field – and they ran the play-action bootleg on first and 10 on the first play of the game. And that might have been the first first and 10 to start a drive that the Bears have not run the ball on. And you, you saw the play-action off of it. And that was like, it surprised me at home. I'm like, well, run to the left. And then they run the play-action rolling off of that. You know, you're starting to see maybe a little bit of self-evaluation and realizing maybe where the Bears are predictable.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's what was, um, you know, I, I I made a joke about that on my show. I do the the knee-jerk reactions in between corners kind of give you know, like an up-to-the-minute thing of what's going on with me Mm -hmm. while the game is happening. And I made the joke that the Bears actually made two pass attempts on their first drive of the game. I almost didn't know what to do with myself, you know. It's just like, (laughs) holy Christ, they threw the football twice in one drive. I mean, he threw it seven times the week before uh, the whole freaking game against the Panthers. So, um, you know, watching them on offense has been increasingly frustrating And, you know, I'm glad you you mentioned Shaheen because I was going to ask you what you thought the deal was, and you just kind of answered the question without me having to ask, is that when he's on the field, we run the ball nine times out of ten. So, I mean, now with – I mean, the other thing that was like, okay, so Zach Miller goes down, but the guy that's that's catching passes in Zach Miller's absence is Daniel Brown and not Adam Shaheen. It's like, when is this guy going to get his chance to step up? Because, like, out of our draft choices – You know, after the draft class, he was the one that I pegged would probably make the biggest impact on what I call the wait till 2018 draft class. And instead, everybody but him is contributing (laughs) this year.
2: Yeah, I think they... I I would guess the Bears envisioned more from Adam Shaheen in year one. And maybe he comes to training camp and isn't as refined as they thought he was. And I think he is much more now of a project. And they're trying to get him in certain situations. They were clearly... Drawing up more plays for him in the passing game as they've sort of continued this large run heavy role just to get him, you know, used to NFL snaps as a blocker because certainly he can offer a lot there with size. But, you know, we saw them against the Saints. They ran that one play near the goal line where it was really designed to go to Shaheen, uh, where Trubisky kind of threw it up to him, but he was covered and the guy was jamming him at the line of scrimmage. It was third down not not long after the Zach Miller play, you know, a couple of drives later, you know, they're trying to get certain situations like Tariq Cohen where we're going to simplify it for you. You're running this route, the ball's going to go your way unless something goes terribly wrong and it hasn't evolved into this bigger role, but I am I am officially on the Daniel Brown hype train. I think he is going to fill in for Zach Miller and actually be fairly productive. He was getting open late in this Saints game. There were a lot of plays where the ball could have gone his way. I think he got one or two, but I really think he fits more that Zach Miller role, whereas they want Adam Adam Shaheen to eventually be that Deion Sims role.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm I'm all for it. It's just that, you know, you would expect, as, like, as far as the depth chart is concerned, of the four tight ends that we brought to the field on Sunday, Daniel Brown would have had to be, you would think, was number four, and instead yeah. he leapfrogged Shaheen as far as being a, a pass-catching target in a game where we lost our best pass catching tight end.
2: Yeah, and I think they want Shaheen to get there eventually, but I think right now at 66270, I mean, they know they want him to be at least a dominant blocker first and they maybe they feel like he's not ready to separate consistently that he doesn't know how to physically best utilize his body in the receiving game, you know, without drawing the penalty. As far as, it t- you know, that's what they refer to a lot as like veteran savvy moves from large tight ends that know how to sort of dig their butt into the defender as they turn and just sort of push them off without using their hands and their arms. And that's going to take time for Adam Shaheen to really master. You know, he's no longer the biggest and and sometimes looking like the fastest player on the field in Division Two. You know, I think as much as this is a 2018 draft class, He's the only one that's still, well, and the fifth-round pick, Jordan Morgan, he's the only one that's right. still kind of waiting for 2018.
1: Right, yeah, and that that's kind of the complete opposite of what I was expecting. I thought Shaheen might be the one to see the field first, and then Eddie Jackson would be number two behind them, and then Cohen and, and Trubisky, I thought were those were going to be our wait-till-2018 project guys, and instead it was the complete opposite, where basically, you know, I think if the Bears had to do it again, Trubisky should have started week one against Atlanta. And, you know, let's just the hell with it. Let's just ride with the kid and see what happens kind of thing. And Cohen's been a, you know, when he's been on the field, because it seems like his his percentage of plays has gone down dramatically since he's no longer the best-kept secret in the NFL. Yeah,
2: it's, it's for sure. Like week one, he was all over the field and was sort of the main part of this passing offense and in even week two, he played quite a bit, but that, that has slowly gone down. He played seven snaps out of thirty-eight against the Carolina Panthers. Although, yeah, you know they weren't—they were only thirty-eight offensive snaps. So, you know, percentage-wise, it's not horrible. Played eighteen last week against the Saints, but started up in the 28-40-28 range. Now down in the the eighteen, sort of seven range. And they've really been making him more a receiver lately than running back. I mean, obviously his carries have kind of continued to dwindle, but even in the last few weeks. You know, he didn't get a carry against Carolina and, and four against the Saints. I believe he lined up at wide receiver more than in the backfield in, in both of those two games.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, he carried the ball four times for two yards against the Saints on Sunday with the one, you know, Walter Payton-esque touchdown uh, in the uh, in the fourth quarter there. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, I I, I don't know who to blame there, you know, is, is well, it, and- you know, is it is it Dole Loggins not using his personnel or figuring out how to use them well? Or is it the fact that, like you know, like I said, Tariq Cohen and, and how good he is is not a secret anymore?
2: Yeah, I think there's it's a combination of all that. I think defenses, especially when he's at wide receiver, they are keying in on him 100%. But even in the backfield, they kind of know that he wants to go outside and that they, they kind of trust their interior guys to hold up on the interior and that, you know, defenses can then you know, flood the outsides and keep him from trying to bounce it there. And he still kinda does. And and he just gets caught up a little bit too often trying to do too much and not just going upfield and taking the yards that he gets. But I think a lot of it too, those four carries, it's a small sample size, but the run blocking in that game wasn't necessarily all that great. But even against Baltimore two weeks before he had fourteen carries for thirty two yards. So he's just yeah. he's not he's not getting upfield enough. He's not getting a lot of space either but defenses are definitely keying in on where he is on the field at all times.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's <laughs> you're right. So you mentioned, um, you know, we were talking about Shaheen about him, you know, trying not to get penalties on him. It kind of sparked the the idea of or the thought that um, penalties, or at least in the last four or five weeks, have not been an issue for the Bears like they had been plaguing them like all of 2016 and in the first few games. You know, it just seemed like penalties, and not only were they, they were penalties, but bad penalties. Like the Minnesota game, you take away the two penalties, the the one that, that scrapped the Jordan Howard touchdown and the one that took away the big pass play to Trey McBride. You're talking about a completely different football game than what we had against Minnesota in that one. And that was kind of like the last time that penalties seemed to really affect the Bears and how the outcome of the game uh, kind of play. They seem to be a lot more disciplined, or at least not getting caught as much in the last, uh, you know, three four weeks uh, than we had in, in the first handful of games this year.
2: Yeah, I think it was after the Carolina Panthers game. Maybe they, Akeem Hicks, had talked to the media. And the Bears put it out in video form, and he said like the big difference between, especially the defensive side of the ball in their winning streak, as compared to earlier in the season when they were giving up a lot of points, was sort of just doing little things and you know not taking those penalties in critical situations not you know being able to come off of the field on third down when it seemed like they just let these drives go on and on and on and yet even so you know as much as this team this season it feels like the Bears defense has played tons and tons of snaps and the offense really hasn't been on the field as much in total you look at the penalty breakdown on this team 34 on the offensive side of the ball and I think it's only 18 on defense which is Mm -hmm. surprising the way that it, it seemed to be a lot of these specific defensive situations, but this offensive line can't keep, you know, Charles Leno has a false start every single game, yeah. and Bobby Messi or somebody gets a hold every single game, and there's always a, a receiver with a random penalty for an illegal uh, alignment or a weird block downfield that really didn't in, in, influence the play, but it's just always something with this team, and, you know, we talk about the, the the teams that give up a lot of penalties tend to be the ones that aren't disciplined, and that usually comes back to coaching.
1: Well, I mean, there was, I, I don't remember, I don't actually, I don't even think they stated who the player was, but it was, I think it was an offensive player for the Saints or one of the two, offense, defense, whatever it was, he said it was the best defense that they've seen all year, but probably the worst, the, the, the most poorly coached team that they have faced. And I thought that spoke volumes uh, you know, it's like they've, they've, they, they can do it, but if they just got a little extra help from the coaching staff, they might actually be really, really good. And if you're Ryan Pace up watching
2: the game in the, you know, whatever box or luxury suite he's watching from, you have to feel like he can recognize that. You know, he knows the talent that he's acquired on this team. You look across the defense. I think Kyle Fuller's the only consistent player there, you know, in terms of snaps that wasn't directly brought in by Ryan Pace. And this offense is littered with, you know, Ryan Pace picks. This is a team that has talent on both sides of the ball. So when you're Pace and you see they're three and five, and they've been in at least a couple close games this year that they ended up losing. It all kind of should be adding up in his head that maybe the issues here aren't necessarily in between the sidelines.
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely, I definitely agree. I mean, and with the with the schedule that we have coming ahead, it, it's um, you know, it's it's shaping up well. If the Bears can 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 hold firm with the defense. And and not bury themselves with penalties like they had in the past, like you were talking about. You know the the Bears extending plays on defense. The first thing I think of is Tampa Bay. The first that first offensive drive for the uh, for the Bucks, we 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 get them to a three and out, but we have an off or like a, a defensive holding penalty that extends the drive, and the next thing you know, they're moving down the field, and they've got a they've got a field goal on the board, you know, and things like that. That that's the kind of stuff that was always happening to the Bears just when you thought they were off the field something stupid would happen and boom there you go I mean I thought we actually opened the floodgates for it when Kyle Fuller was called off sides on the first field goal and then the next play was against the Saints and then the first play after that was a touchdown I was like oh man we're we gonna go back to this now you know it's like we got him off the field or we held them down and you know all that kind of stuff and then we're just gonna go ahead and just turn it over and you know is this gonna be the day that all the stupid mistakes start crawling back in again
2: yeah, and that's kind of been the formula for the Saints this year. I was talking to uh, one a Saints writer on my own podcast, and he kind of talked about how what has been different about this Saints team is that they're just able to wear you down, and they've, they put these long drives together because of their strong running game and Drew Brees sort of just remaining efficient and, and getting rid of the ball quickly. And So that was definitely the fear for me, and it was it showed growth, I think, in this defense that, yes, they got into a situation where dumb penalties started to come back, and it did extend some drives, especially in that first half. And, you know, they allowed two first-half touchdowns, which was rare for them this season. But they come back into that second half when maybe you think they might start to be worn down. They hold strong, keep them to two field goals in the fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then and just to to take it back a little bit further, you know, 38 plays from the offense on uh, Week 7 against the, the Panthers. I mean, the whole game. I am just waiting for this defense to fold. You know, they've been out there nearly 40 minutes uh, of the football game. The, the Panthers ran, you know, almost 70 plays in that game if they didn't crack 70. And somehow the defense was going just as strong in the fourth quarter as they were in the first. But, you know, you just, you're just just kind of waiting. It's like, how do, how long are they going to be able to hold the Panthers off? they got to wear down eventually. But instead, man, they grin and bear it and they, hold, they held the Panthers legit to a field goal the whole football game and then won the game for us by scoring touchdowns the offense couldn't pull off.
2: Yeah, and that just to me speaks to the one coach on this team that seems to be doing his job the most consistently yeah. with Vic Fangio. I mean, there's certainly plenty of reasons to be critical of him as well and he's not a a perfect defensive coordinator by any stretch of the word, but he does always consistently have this group ready to play, especially this year in spite of injuries, you know, in spite of Fourth and fifth inside linebackers on the field, yeah. you know, not necessarily the starting cornerbacks that he thought he would start week one. You know, Kyle Fuller maybe wasn't going to be in the mix, and you know, rookie safety out there and Adrian Amos and you know, young guys there. These guys keep coming together despite the injuries, despite the lack of depth, uh, really across the front seven and playing well, and, and that's the sign of a good coach. As compared to maybe the offense, where you have similar injury issues and, and weaknesses at certain positions, but also young playmakers not coming together and, and making plays.
1: Yeah, no, definitely that's been, that has been tough to watch. So, I mean, you know, we, we've got the next eight games coming up. Um, actually, one question for you. Why the hell didn't Dontrell Emmon play on Sunday? I, I expected this, and I think it's mostly the
2: hamstring. I mean, not that he was, I, maybe he could have played, but I think combination of hamstring and new playbook, I mean, he'd been here for like four days before they got him out there, and I think they could have played him if they needed bodies at the wide receiver position, but I kind of expected that, you know what, let's go into the game against the Saints. I think the Bears are more comfortable with their wide receiver group than on the outside, maybe for some of the reasons that I've talked about, and just I think generally you like your own players more than you know outsiders might, but I I don't think they felt this huge push to say, okay, we need to get somebody on the field. I think they said, okay— Let's go in with the guys we've got. We've won two games without Dontrell Inman in a row now. Let's continue to play our ball, get him ready and healthy during the bye week. He'll know the offense. And then Green Bay won't have any tape on him. We can unleash him and sort of be this new weapon for a big divisional game.
1: Well, I hope the hell that's true. I really do. Because God knows we could use it Um, just to help out the defense. You know, like just, you know, forget about, you know, keeping them fresh on a game you know during a you know during the game we got to keep these guys fresh so they don't wear out by the end of the season because as I was you know as I was getting to uh we've got a schedule that sets up very well uh for the Bears in these last eight games. We got four division games you know which include an Aaron Rogerless Green Bay Packers to start off the second half. You know, we got the two games with Detroit that uh are looking better and better each week. I mean they got off to a fast start but they've lost what, four out of five or something like that you got the Browns and the 49ers who have combined for zero wins thus far in the season Cincinnati's not looking all that great and the only games that we really have to worry about as far as the the Bears not having a chance or you know it's it's going to be a tough get is are the two road games against Philly and Minnesota to close out the year yeah there's certainly
2: reason to be optimistic and maybe I mean I I don't know about you but I wasn't optimistic the bears would necessarily beat the carolina panthers and they did with you know again a, a historic defensive performance but there's certainly reason to see wins in this second half and i'm i, I don't know about you i'm not ready to say playoffs by any sense of the word no. this is not a playoff quality team but you can start creeping back into that near 500 conversation it's a, it's a step in the right direction but all of that leaves these bigger question marks about John Fox you know yes. if the Bears finish with five wins John Fox is fired but if they they get to seven if they get to eight they finish five and three I mean they lose maybe to Philly Cincy and Minnesota or some combination I mean the question you know I I'm I'm certainly on in favor of moving John Fox pretty much no matter what the win loss record says unless great, yeah. things dramatically change but does Ryan Pace maybe start to change his mind if he was having second thoughts about Fox I know Pretty much everyone in the, the mainstream Chicago media, you know, and they won't say it, but they all believe John Fox is gone after this year pretty much across the board. And I, th- I think Jason Lockin' Four was speculating that John Fox is on the hot seat. I mean, the signs seem to be there, but mm-hmm. the question is does eight and eight or even seven and nine give him another year?
1: Well, see, see here's the thing I, 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 I peg Ryan Pace as the kind of guy that at, at the very least leaves you with the illusion. That he's listening to the fans, and I don't even think eight and eight or you know seven and nine, eight and eight or God forbid even nine and seven, I don't think that there would be a groundswell of bear fans asking for John Fox to come back. So I mean, and any if if he you know even if the Bears did you know go six and two or five and three uh, to get ourselves to five hundred for the first time in God knows how long. Um, you know, I don't think that anyone in Chicago would really cry over John Fox losing his job, even though the Bears had more success in the second half of the season. Yeah, you just think about
2: how difficult it was for this coaching staff to even get to 500. I don't I don't know if you'll find anyone confident saying, OK, well, step forward from, from year two to year three. And does that I mean does anybody see step forward from year three to year four to go? Like, does this seem like the coaching staff that can go from eight and eight to 10 and six, 11 and five, 12 and four, you know, it's just the ceiling here is so low. And yeah. I feel like when John Fox was hired, it was supposed to be the restabilized disorganization after Mark Tressman and Phil Emery sort of took it completely off the rails and maybe getting back to seven and nine is doing his Jeff Fisher job. And now it's time to go get uh Sean McVay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, we we got to have an offensive minded coach in there because it I mean, are do you subscribe to the thought that maybe one of the biggest problems with Doa Loggins is John Fox? I go back and forth on that. I think John Fox
2: influences a lot, but I think John Fox isn't the one that puts a fullback and two tight ends on the field for when they run the ball. like I think sure. i I mean, I don't know, but I feel like John Fox is telling Dow Loggins we're going to take care of the ball. We're not going to be too aggressive. We're going to run the ball. And then Loggins is the one that says, okay, let's run the ball with two running backs and two tight ends and and get nine-man boxes. Like I feel like Dowell Loggins could appease John Fox by running the ball out of shotgun, which we saw Adam Gase do in year one. Like it seemed like Adam Gase didn't have these same issues in play calling and in, in conservativeness that Dowell Loggins is having. And maybe John Fox was telling Adam Gase, you know, hey, let's not get too pass happy so Jay doesn't turn the ball over but Gase was still able to find other ways to get the running game going, get receivers open and all that. And I think that's where I think Loggins can, or where Loggins still has the autonomy to receive some blame here.
1: Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've condemned the existence of Doe Loggins pretty much all year. And, you know, the rumors being that, uh, you know, that um, he's being handcuffed by Fox and is like, you know, regardless of that, you know, you're still the guy that's calling the plays. Because John Fox is not calling an offensive play. No. But, um, you know, you're still the guy calling the plays. You're still the one that's putting the personnel out on the field. So ultimately it falls on you. And, um, you know, it's like like you said, there, there are ways that you could do what John Fox wants by still being a bit more imaginative. I mean, looking at the Bears and the Saints' offenses was a literal night and day. Difference between those two teams. I mean, the imagination just on the screen plays alone, there was like a double screen. The, that the ended fake, up,
2: yeah. Yeah, the, the fake double screen. I lost my mind when I watched that play. I was yeah, just the, like, holy crap.
1: Yeah, the fake double screen that ended up being the, the tight end delay down the middle of the field. I was like, that is genius. You would never see the Bears run something like that, or at least not while Dowell Loggins was the guy calling the plays i mean i feel like we're back in the 40s on the t formation just running the ball just i mean but even that's crazy because we had sid luckman blowing the world up back in the 40s but (laughs) i mean it's just you know the the lack of imagination you're seeing on the offense has been what's bothered me more than anything the defense can see the bears coming a mile away and we're watching them run the football sometimes it's like watching them bang their head against the wall because that's just about as much good as it does
2: yeah, and the the lack of imagination thing. I think some people can get caught up and say, well, they ran the fake the fake halfback toss for a touchdown and they they've pulled out a couple of these plays that read option two-point conversion and you could say, well, look, Dowell Loggins does come up with creative plays, but we talked about those. Those are gimmicky plays. Whereas the Saints, it's a, it's a part of their offense. The creativity is in the the down to down, not the the one-time special play that works for points. It's the you run screens to the right. You run screens to the left. The, the defense gets used to it. You draw them into it, and then you you, you motion the tight end off of that. Just th- that play stood out right away. When yeah. I knew exactly which one you were talking about. Absolutely. That's genius. how you call it an offense.
1: Yeah, that's that's what you do. That's that's being aggressive with your offense and and working against the defense instead of taking what the defense gets you. I mean, it was really impressive to watch. It was a shame that I was watching it happen to my team though so i mean (laughs) and even 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 with that the defense held up really really well against the saints um you know and and just to go back to what you said a minute ago about the panthers game um i've had the good fortune of when i had my guests on the show i you know with this team i guess i'm just mr half glass empty with this team and the way that they've kind of let us down over the last few years and such before i had a chance to talk to my panther guys i thought the panthers were going to murder us in that game i just like you know, like you said, it's a matchup nightmare that the Bears have. They defend really well against the run. That's all. That's the only bullet the Bears appear to have in the chamber on offense. You know, Newton and, you know, those tall receivers against our short corners and, you know, all the rest of it. I just thought it was a matchup nightmare for us. We ended up killing the Panthers, A complete opposite of what I thought. And talking to them, I felt better about it after talking to them than I did, you know, going into it. And, you know, I felt the opposite about the – The Saints, I mean, the only thing that I worried about going into the Saints game was the offense. It's like, you know, because the Saints are as good as they are on offense, the defense is playing better. My concern is whether or not the offense will be able to keep up with whatever the Saints put on the board, as opposed to, you know, oh, we're going to get killed because we're not going to be able to match the gunslinging, you know, 30 points a game offense from the Saints. Like, I knew the defense was going to get their job done, but how much... Would they be able to hold the, pan, the the Saints too, and would our offense, uh, you know, have enough to to do it? And we made it excited at the end, but we came up short. And you know, watching the offense was was frustrating. Um, you know, just, I mean, that's a word I've used a lot. That's a lot a word that my my listeners have heard a million times already this year. Frustrating, because that's the only word that I can use to describe watching our offense play this time.
2: Yeah, I've, I've used the same, and I, you just you watch the tape of this team, and it's like it's all there. The pieces are there. That you have a running back. that's You have two really good running backs. You have a young quarterback. You have tight end weapons that can, can catch the ball before Zach Miller, and you've got young receivers that aren't anything to write home about, but they're not completely hopeless on every single play, and especially when Dontrell Inman gets in there, and he can offer you a lot more, and maybe Marcus Wheaton starts to get healthy, and even Kendall Wright who has disappeared in some recent games until yeah. this last week against the saints, all of a sudden Dow Loggins remembered who his number one or his most talented wide receiver on the team is. And was Zach Miller hurt, he is now your most talented pass catching option across the board. Yeah. You know, it's just things like that. It's like, there are pieces here. And if we had seen all the pieces used in the right way, and you could kind of say, man, this offense is being tapped out right now. And they just still can't get it. Cause there's, there's just not enough talent across the board then maybe you can kind of feel like, okay, they need this offseason to you know continue to retool, and Dowell Logan is doing the best he can. But it still feels like you can squeeze more out of what the Bears do have on offense, and that's what makes it most frustrating.
1: Yeah, because I think that we are tapping the potential of the defense. I mean, they've got more in the tank, but these guys are coming to play each and every week, and the offense... On the other hand, there there always seems that there, there's there's at least half a can left at the end of the game. We didn't use up all the gas in this one. We still got more that we can do, and we're just not using it.
2: Yeah, and some of that does go, I think they are concerned about not trying to ask Mitch to do too much. But that changed in the New Orleans Saints game. That felt like the first game of big boy offense. Less of these predetermined pre-snap throws where he knows he's either throwing it to the tight end or the other tight end going to the flat or it's just two receivers and he's not really reading a coverage. In this game, there was some of that to get him into a rhythm, but by the fourth quarter, that was full blown NFL offensive football, reading the full field, needing a time to throw from your offensive line and ultimately having to scramble quite a bit. Now you're starting to see the the, the baby gloves, the the bubble wrap come off of Trubisky, and maybe we'll see Potential for offensive growth after the bye week if they feel comfortable with continuing to open things up for him.
1: Yeah, and I hope that happens because you know we saw it in the preseason, and you know the, the guys got the, he's got the goods. I mean he's 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 I believe that Trubisky is the real deal. My my problem was never with him playing; it was with you know what we're going to surround him with, and will that ruin him if if we don't succeed? Kind of thing. We, we've seen it happen a million times. I didn't want it to be us. You know, taking the number two you know pick overall and getting a franchise quarterback, and we put him out there too early. And the next thing you know, he's that uh, you know. When we look back on the twenty seventeen class, the first draft bust on the board, number two (laughs) to the Bears, you know, all that kind of thing. And you know, I mean, it's like he 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 handled the big stage against Minnesota very well. Go the week the week later against uh, you know Baltimore. That throw that he made to Kendall Wright to set up the game-winning field goal was just outstanding. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Just jumps up, you know, steps up, and did, did everything you could never count on Mike Lennon to do. Okay? <laughs> Number one, he found himself out of the pocket where, where Mike Lennon... Did you notice this too? It just seemed like he went into absolute panic mode anytime he got any kind of pressure like he didn't know what to do he's got cement shoes on and he's either going down or he's throwing the football you know where it doesn't need to be or he god forbid he's fumbling the damn thing you know it just seemed like he would go into full-blown panic mode every time he was under pressure and then you look at Trubisky who's got all of you know, seven quarters of experience under his belt in the overtime of this football game, you know, finds himself in the belly of the beast with the Baltimore Ravens, steps up, jumps up, throws off his back foot, a strike where only Kendall Wright could have gone up to get it to set up the game-winning field goal. And it's like, yep, he's the guy. And yeah. we'll never see Glennon play another snap in this, you know, best case scenario, a healthy Mitch Trubisky finishes the year and we never see Mike Lennon again. Yeah,
2: and it's it remains just the most baffling thing about this coaching staff, that Mike Glennon still has that C on his jersey, still yes. goes out to midfield for the coin toss. Is that right? Every game. Wow. He's out there for the coin toss. Still a captain every game.
1: Well, he's I locked guess, in for the season. Yeah. <laughs> Sixteen million dollars. Might as well earn it somehow. You know, I don't know. And but I guess maybe that speaks to Glennon, the person
2: that he maybe sure. he's still a leader in this locker room and still saying, you know what, I'm I'm a veteran quarterback and I'm I'm still a captain on this team. So as much as I'm on the bench. I'm not sulking, I'm not, you know, sabotaging the team or just giving up on the, my season. I'm still preparing as though Trubisky could get hurt on any given snap and Mike Lennon would have to go back out in that game. And maybe maybe that speaks to Mike and the Bears' ability to at least evaluate him as a person and a human being, even if he wasn't the quarterback that they perhaps envisioned.
1: Right. Well, I mean, even even before, I mean, in OTAs and in, and, and, you know, a training camp and everything, you, all you heard was good things. About locker room, Mike Glennon, you know about the you know the team's really responding to him and his leadership abilities and and so on and so forth. So that part doesn't really uh, surprise me. It's just obviously when he gets between the between the lines that uh, that the problems start to uh, to pop up. And um, you know, I think John Fox made the move um, to save the locker room more than anything else because I, we were starting to hear rumors that you know a mutiny was ahead if we pe- keep putting Glennon out there when everybody knows that Trubisky is the better option.
2: And isn't that the ultimate indictment of the coaching staff that they let it get four weeks bad, that they couldn't see the quarterback move that needed to be made. I mean, as much as people were praising Fox, yes, thank you for putting in Mitchell Trubisky. As soon as Mitchell Trubisky comes out and plays really well and leads them to wins, it just makes their first four weeks of decision-making look even worse.
1: Yeah, you're right. It does. so, uh, it, uh, You know, like I said, I fought it, kicking and screaming all the way. But it was like first quarter of the Green Bay game was like, you know what? Hashtag Trubisky now, count me in. I I I I, I can't watch (laughs) this anymore. You know, like I can't do it anymore. It's like I I said it on the show. It's like, dude, if I didn't have to do the show, I would have bailed on the game. It was like I'm not gonna watch this. I can't watch this. You know, this thing is coming apart at the seams. I'm not. It was like the Tampa Bay game all over again, only worse because it's on national TV this time and you know against so, the green bay Packers, against the freaking packers you know it's always against the Packers, always against green bay you know aaron Rodgers could have been having the slump of slumps to play the bears and all of a sudden he's a genius and the greatest quarterback that ever lived again so yeah so i mean it's like that's it i'm done I, it's like put trubisky in there i can't handle this anymore and then monday morning the announcement started coming out trubisky's the starting quarterback i was like well here we go there you um go. you know you and i shared <laughs> uh, up Yeah, we shared some messages during the preseason and and, uh, one thing that you said that I still remember was the future is now. And I was like, well, yeah, you're right. The future is now. Here it is. And, um, you know, this rookie class that we thought wasn't going to be on the field till 2018 is kind of leading the charge at the moment with Trubisky at quarterback, Cohen, you know, being the complimentary guy and Eddie Jackson, you know, being the ball hawk that he was in Alabama. And I...
2: I struggle to, you know, I I agree 100%, and I I keep having to tell myself to not get too excited about these rookies just yet, just because we've seen a lot of strong year ones from Ryan Pace draft classes, and and it's not that any of his draft classes have been terrible yet. I mean, I'm not ready to totally finish evaluating even three years ago yet, and certainly in the last couple years, so... You know adrian amos really strong rookie year jordan howard obviously strong rookie year not that howard has been bad in year Two, but we see a lot of impact rookie players, and that's great But I want to see how eddie jackson does in year two and I want to see if tariq cohen Can can continue to make plays or if he's gonna kind of fall off the map and be that flash in the pan And you know you also then get the adam shaheen in year two that can start to do more and maybe maybe that sort of bounces out as you know last year's second year players go into year three maybe you start to get a little bit more from Jonathan Bullard next year and it all it all fluctuates with their development so I'm I'm trying not to get too hyped up as like this draft class is the future of the Bears offense and defense besides <laughs> Mitch Trubisky who's obviously you know he's obviously had trending in the right direction
1: yeah yeah no for sure I mean I definitely know what you mean I mean you just think about guys like uh well I mean Adrian Amos for starters you know yeah. it's a guy that kind of uh You know, granted, he wasn't getting the turnovers like Eddie Jackson is, but this is a guy that that really came out and had a strong rookie campaign, and he was a ghost last year, you know, to the point where we had to bring in Quentin Demps to replace him this year. And it was only because Quentin Demps got hurt that Amos found himself back out on the field again, and he's making the most of it. You know, same thing with with Kyle Fuller. This was a guy that we didn't even think was going to make it out of training camp, and now he's probably the best corner we have on the team right now. You know, it, or at least you know, production-wise, he's the guy that's getting it done. And um, you know, who would have thought losing Marcus Cooper and Quentin Demps to injuries would improve the secondary when these are guys that we signed to help imp- you know to help bring up the quality that there wasn't in 2016.
2: And I even think back to you know Heronis Grassu and Jeremy Langford. Sure, both played a lot as rookies, and you know Langford in year two still was playing pretty well. And Langford's gone, and Heronis Grassu is hurt and really doesn't hasn't looked this preseason even like he belongs anywhere near the starting lineup. So, you know, as, as much as it was like, well, Jeremy Lankford, running back of the future, Cronus Grasso, starting center of the future, two years later, not so much with, with either one. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm just I keep having to remind myself that, hey, you know what? Tariq Cohen's exciting and I'm going to enjoy that right now. But yeah. I'm gonna hold back on <laughs> just getting to and even Eddie Jackson, you know, he's making some great plays and that's super cool and it's fun to watch let's see how he grows into year two and three.
1: Yeah, there's that good old Chicago Bear fan pessimism just flowing right through. (laughs) Realism. I like the term realism. Realism. Okay, we'll we'll go with that. Let's call it (laughs) realism, you know, because there have been a dozen Al Alfalavas, you know, and not enough. I love
2: Al Alfalava. That's (laughs) one of my favorite Bears trivia names.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, sixth-round pick started day one of his rookie season, and then I don't think we ever heard from him again after he finished out his rookie year, so, I mean... There are plenty of those kind of stories where these guys come out like gangbusters as rookies, these late-round picks. You have to learn their names at the beginning of the season, and then all of a sudden, year two, you know, they couldn't play their way out of a wet paper bag.
2: Even Marquise Wilson. I mean, the names uh, go down the list. I mean, Heck, uh, Lance Lewis was in that same Al Lava draft. Did sure. you find him?
1: Yeah. Dan LaFever, yeah. Fever in Chicago. Oh, boy. <laughs> Going way back here now. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, but, uh, but there you have it. So, but, um, you know, how do you think the second half of the season? I mean, with, with the schedule that we have, it lays out pretty well. If we can, you know, stay healthy. I mean, it would seem like we've, we've got our injury issues, but it hasn't been as murderous as it has been in the first two years. We might even start getting some guys back with Marcus Wheaton. There was a rumor the other day, or there's somebody, somebody brought up that Kevin White can come off the IR to John Fox, uh, you know, in his presser on uh, on Monday or Tuesday, uh, you know, things like that. We might start getting some guys back and get healthier as the season goes along. And we've got a more favorable second half of the schedule than we did with those first eight games. We ran a gauntlet, and I said back in April, three and five would be great. Four and four, I'll be dancing in the streets, and we almost pulled it off.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad we didn't get at least, and you know, I'm disappointed we didn't get a video of that, but I guess I'm, I'm happy for the people in those streets that they didn't have <laughs> to see you dancing, but yeah, yeah I'm, I, I, you know, the second half, it certainly looks favorable and I'm, I, 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 struggled, you know, I didn't think three and five was quite going to be where they even got it this bye week. It looked more like a, a one or two win type of first oh. half of the season. So clearly Trubisky is ev- elevating the play here. And now green Bay is a winnable game with Brett Hundley under center and uh, San Francisco is, and Cleveland are train wrecks right now, and even Detroit, like you said, trending down. So there's 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 reasons to be optimistic for some more wins, but I'm not expecting much better than maybe another three and five, four and four type of of half of the season.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, I. I mean, th- uh, like I said, when the schedule came out and uh, there was this famous graphic on NFL Network about, yeah, the Bears like have the like the the first or second toughest strength of schedule for the first eight games. Like, well, fantastic. And you look at those first <laughs> four games, you're like, yep, we're going zero four. You know, it's like Atlanta at home, then we're on the road to Tampa Bay. You got the uh, Pittsburgh, and then Green Bay again. It's like I don't see a win there at all. And you know, then of course we got. Baltimore and, and you know Carolina we're on this on the road at the Saints we got Minnesota on Monday night it's like dude this is not looking good at all you know and then it's like if we get three and five I, you know then we might have something to work with but like you I was looking at one and seven two and six after those first eight games
2: yeah there's always gonna be those surprises like you know I didn't I don't know how many you know I feel like Baltimore was sort of gonna be one of the easier winnable games and maybe Pittsburgh wasn't going to be even in the radar, and you know they they get the Baltimore game maybe a little bit closer than you thought, and Pittsburgh obviously is the sort of the surprise win there, and maybe Carolina was going to be a tougher or was looked to be a tougher game now than it looked preseason, and it's just there's all sorts of fluctuations in the year, and maybe three weeks from now when the Detroit comes to town, they might be on a hot streak, and it it becomes less of a, an easier feeling type of game or at least a, a as contested of a game and you, can, you never know what happens with injuries on either side of the ball this this could be a very different looking team in week 14 than it does right now
1: yeah no I definitely agree so but uh, we will uh we'll have to sit back and and see how it goes you know I, I think I'm more optimistic going into the second half than I've been in a while um you know uh, I did say that that going into that Saints game, Even if we don't win, we need something on offense that we can hang our hat on, some kind of growth for Trubisky. And it looks like we definitely had that mindset going in because he threw 32 times on Sunday. I mean, he completed less than half of them, but he threw the football 32 times, so we're putting it in his hands a little bit more to maybe get more comfortable with him taking charge uh, of the game. And if the defense holds up, you know, we could be in in for a good second half.
2: Yeah, one thing is for sure – this game against Green Bay will go a lot differently than the first one.
1: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> definitely agree. Uh, Two different uh, quarterbacks that. on the field, actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we, we got one we got uh we got one untouchable, we got rid of him and we got rid of the disaster uh on the other on the other side. So I think it's it's gonna be very, very interesting, uh, that matchup. And like you said, hopefully Inman can make some kind of impact for us and um You know, like you said, Packers won't have any tape on him or at least none in a bear uniform uh, anyway. And uh, maybe that could be something that can uh, work to our advantage uh, in that game. So, but, uh, Lauren, thanks so much uh, for your time, man. I appreciate you uh, helping me get through this uh, or talking me through these first uh, eight games. It's been an adventure so far. You know, I mean, crazy up and down with, I mean, just literal roller coaster week one to week two then week two to week three then week three to week four we're back at it again you know with the whole nonsense when glennon was in there and then trubisky you know a lot more positive than negatives even though we were only two and two in that stretch the second half of the year looks a little more favorable so what do you say we meet up again in january and, and talk about how it all went down
2: hey that's how we do it here on chicago bears review but yeah <laughs> i remember you talking we talked before the season you know, it was going to be a roller coaster season, but no one ever asked me, you know, you must be this tall to watch the bears this season. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad I was, we were buckled in pretty firmly here. And yeah, the ups and downs have been entertaining at the very least. It's a lot different of a feel than last season, even, even though the winning percentage, I mean, it's certainly improved, but it's not drastically better. It's still, there's hope, there's optimism, there's, Hey, a second half of the season that we can actually watch these games down the stretch. That'll be fun.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, looking forward to it you know cautiously optimistic i i guess would be the the best way to describe watching these games at least knowing that you know with the schedule we have ahead we should be, at least be in these games as opposed to just like how quickly is the game going to be over in 2016 so um but thanks again man um where can we uh where can we find your uh, your show how often do you put it out
2: yeah so um it's a daily monday through friday podcast we have a website LockdownBears.com. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn and Google Play, all the, all the podcasty websites and, and apps that can aggregate all those. And you can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. That's COX Sports One, kind of like Fox Sports One. Yeah, but I see what you did C. there. I yeah. see what you did there.
1: Lauren Cox, uh, Locked on Bears, BearsWire.com. Thanks so much uh, for coming back to the show. We'll talk to you again real soon. It was my pleasure want to thank Lauren Cox for coming back on the show. We look forward to having him once again. He's one of my favorite guests to have on. And we'll be back on Thursday of next week. So no review show because there's nothing to review. But come back on Thursday to preview week number 10 between the Bears and the Packers. Evan Weston will be back. So, uh, yeah. So until then, my name is Larry D. And, of course, this has been the Chicago Bears Review. We'll see you next time.